This is Fuse and Focus, Fuse FM's flagship news show. On February 18, Fuse FM's co-heads of news interviewed Vice Chancellor Dame Nancy Rothwell. The chief aim of the interview was to have an honest, open and frank conversation about what the senior leadership seeks to change considering recent developments. Clearly, change is demanded by the student body and it needs to be met with a proactive response, particularly in light of the upcoming referendum on whether to remove the vice chancellor and her senior management team from their administrative positions. Well, thank you so much for the privilege of an interview with you, because we recognize that this has been a challenging period for everyone, including the university administration. Uh, but there is widespread consensus that students have been particularly affected by COVID measures and by the university's subsequent response over the past few months. Uh, our Fuse FM news team reached out to students to collate their main concerns and questions to you on behalf of the student body. And this interview has been designed for the purpose of bridging the communicative gap between the student body and university administration. The pandemic has had dramatic mental health implications for the university community, and students feel that university support has been inadequate, especially given the fees we continue to pay. Lockdown has affected students' well-being, ability to manage their academic workload, and has amplified financial stresses. The student body is disappointed by the cosmetic measures introduced by the university, such as emails, app proposals, and Blackboard notifications, doing little to address the severity of COVID-related depression, anxiety, and feelings of isolation. So we're wondering why do you think so many students regard the mental health provisions as inadequate this year? So first, let me say thank you. I um, mean, what helps us um, improve the communications between me, my colleagues and students is enormously valuable. So I'm, I'm really grateful for this interview. Um, it has been a really, really hard time for everybody and of course for students. And we've worked very hard. We haven't got everything right. And, and obviously we've apologized profusely for anything we haven't got right. And I, I'm deeply distressed if there are things we need to have done better and we're learning lessons all the time. Let me comment on a few of those things. Um, mental health and well-being is obviously absolutely important to us, for our staff and for our students, of course, and we know how hard this has been. I don't know, but I think we spend more on mental health than any other university, uh, nearly four million pounds. We've just added um, a very large sum to that. We've just appointed 11 new members of staff. We've just instigated 24 seven contact, new mental health nurse, new well-being. I do appreciate that might not be enough. We might need to do more still to make sure that students get the support that they need. The other thing, of course, that we would, would comment, I mean, under normal times, the National Health Service would be providing most of that support because, you know, we, we're not um, a National Health Service, but we appreciate the National Health Service is under such pressure at the moment, but they haven't been able to do it. We've, we've got a 24 hour mental health line. We've started a buddy system. We've started together all a 24 seven. Uh, safety online, lots of other things that we're doing. And, and we obviously want to um, get feedback from students about where that has helped and where it hasn't helped, where, where we need to do more. Um, you also commented on um, academic support. And I've been meeting with a lot of academic staff. They're, of course, under pressure as well. Um, a lot of them have kids at home, elderly parents they're looking after, but they've worked so hard, our staff. And I was really surprised to see recently, surprised and pleased, the semester one unit evaluation questionnaire scores, and they'll be published shortly, they are better than I could ever have imagined. The students are feeding back things we need to do better for sure, uh, particularly on technical support, but comments like the organization of the course, the support from the staff, um, the content, we're scoring 80% and more 
Um, and, and that's a real testament to how much work has gone into doing that. But we've always got lessons to learn. Well, in terms of academic support, which you just mentioned, um, an overwhelming proportion of students support a no detriment policy, citing declining mental health as one of the motivators. Uh, and because 2020 graduates had a no detriment policy, why can't the university extend the same support to this year's students? Yeah, there's, there's obviously that we've thought long and hard about this and there's very good reasons why we can't, which I will explain. And, and we've aligned completely with all the 24 Rotter Group universities. Last year, we had quite a lot of mar marks for students from their final year. This year, we don't. So to give a no detriment policy would mean we are judging them on their second year. Now, first of all, I'm not sure that students want, would want the message to employers that you've been judged on two years of your degree. And, and really importantly, nearly every student, in spite of COVID, will do better in their final year than they did in their second year. And so, of course, we, we, we're, we're expecting they will do better. Now, what we've done is put in place much more mitigating circumstances, much more recognition of the difficulties they would face to hope that we can give them a real degree that isn't based on two years of assessment, that's based on three years, but recognizing those three years have not been a normal three years. But this last year has been awful for them and that we're trying to recognize that. So we believe that actually this is far better than having a no detriment clause, which is simply based on historic marks, which students didn't think would count very much and actually might then give them a degree that doesn't value where they should have got to. And, and we hope that that will have got to a much better place than they would have done otherwise. Uh, the next theme of questions centers around um, the financial implications of the COVID pandemic upon the student body. Um, UK higher education is increasingly being commodified and students find themselves going into more and more debt to access entry level jobs. This has led to a deterioration in well-being and financial security, which has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Despite the one billion turnover in 2018-19, the university is not seen by students to be, to be delivering an academic experience to match its price tag. Students feel overcharged for a product that has underdelivered. Many student campaign groups are calling for a reduction in tuition fees to reflect these circumstances. Why does the university not value these demands? And how will the university compensate students for a substandard university experience this year? You're absolutely right. The income of the university was a billion pounds last year, and we spent a billion pounds. Um, much of it on students, of course, and much of it um, on, on moving to online, which has much, been much, much more expensive than standard teaching. Not least, we've we sent out a lot of laptops, we've set out a lot of dongles, we've had a lot of um, learning technologists, um, we've had to obviously spend a lot of money on COVID. But coming back, the thing that matters, of course, is not what the university finances are, it's what students experience. That's, that's what's of interest to them, and quite rightly so. What we're aiming for, and it, it, we will have to determine if this is the case, that students will either progress or leave our university with exactly what they needed and what they were promised, even though they might have been delivered it in a different way. And what that means is having the skills, the knowledge, the know-how that will take them into good jobs or good uh, further education beyond that. Now, it may be that at the end of the year, it's found that that wasn't delivered and that would be fair. And of course, there are uh, then considerations about whether there should be rebates. There's no doubt this has been different, um, different for everybody. Um, and, and we're anxious to try and make sure students do get the best learning as well as the best experience we can possibly give under the circumstances. Now, you know, as I've said many, many times, we're still learning about this. We haven't done it all right. 
and I hope that you know students are feeding back to us telling us what we could do better come back to the unit evaluation scores which were really positive um, but they also fed back some things on certain courses this needs to be better that needs to be better some are saying we can't wait to get back to face to face and others are saying will you please keep some of the online learning it's been much better for me and of course, there are some students who have simply not been able to join us um, where that's been very valuable. But I, I guess we're going to see as we get towards the end of the academic year, do students feel that they've ended up with what they thought they would have got, even though they haven't got it in the same way as they, they had expected? Um, regarding student experience, um, after polling uh, much of the student body, one question which really emerged as a significant issue amongst students was, um, how can you justify charging the same fees when students' learning has been reduced to Zoom calls and simply just logging into Blackboard every day and working from the confines of their rooms? Um, because obviously they feel that this is deeply undervalued in terms of what the normal um, university experiences like so how can the same fees be justified in this context so so the first thing to say is that of, of course I understand how students feel it's been undervalued and, and it's not been the same I, I, I was the first person to admit it's been very very different it's cost more to deliver than it would have done normally and, and we can certainly put out all the costs and we'll be doing an explanation of where your fee goes now it's not your fault it's not students fault that it's cost us more um, that's just how it's been um, it's cost a great deal more to transition and a lot more work uh, for our staff and again that's not students fault and I can see them feeling that um, it's 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 not fair uh, and, and it could be that there is some move to rebate fees. They'd have to be very different for different students. Um, I'm afraid for most UK students, if the government did decide to give a rebate, it would most likely add it on to the end of the loan in however many years time, which I don't think would be a great benefit. But we also, you also commented that a lot of students have faced financial hardship, and that's absolutely right. They've lost part-time jobs that they would have had before. I would urge students to apply to the Living Costs Fund which has not been used, and if it is used, we'll add more to it. Students can apply to that fund for up to £2,000 if they're suffering uh, difficulties with their living costs. And that's open to all students, home and international, full-time and part-time, undergraduate and postgraduate. We've also, as, as you know, said that any student that doesn't come back to our residences doesn't have to pay anything at all. And any student that's, that's come to our residences but wants to break that agreement can do so with no penalty at all. That will cost the university a great deal of money, but it feels right and fair that we should do that. Um, thank you for that information about the uh, Living Cost Fund. That will definitely be very um, important for students to find out a bit more about that. Um, the next question uh, on this theme is, um, the UCU strikes last academic year showed that teaching staff already felt let down by the university before the pandemic. They've since been asked to take pay cuts despite the added challenges of distance teaching. What message do you have for your employees and how do you pledge to support them? So our employees, like our students, are absolutely a critical part of this university, which I'm utterly passionate about. Um, the strike last year was not specifically about the University of Manchester, it was a national strike because of pensions. Uh, and I'm afraid the pension situation, which I can, I can explain if you would like in more detail, is, is a very, very difficult one. We didn't um, require any staff to take a cut in pay. Uh, we said a few might take it voluntarily and some did. I mean, I and all my senior staff took a pay cut. 
all those who did take a pay cut when we realised things were not quite as bad as they could have been, we've given them the money back, although we haven't given it back to the senior team, obviously. Um, so, and, and the increments, which is what about half of our staff get automatically um, every year, went ahead. Um, we've also tried to get increase support for staff because a lot of them, as I mentioned, have got caring duties, they've got children at home, they're very stressed as well. Uh, we've increased the well-being support for them. We're just announcing today uh, an extra couple of days holiday. We've carried over the extra 14 days of leave. We're urging them to try and take the leave, to try and take a break. And some of them are saying that's fantastic. Some are saying, I've got too much to do. I can't take a break. So what, then we're saying, come on, talk to your line manager. Try, let's see if we can manage to take that load off you because they are overworked. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, and they work so hard. And I do truly appreciate that. Um, um, and But there will be national issues around things like pay awards and uh, pensions. Pensions will come up again soon. Hundreds of universities are in the pension scheme. It's not specific to the University of Manchester, and it's, it's a very difficult situation. OK, thank you. And the final question uh, for this theme is, amongst sections of the student body, the pay cuts have been heavily criticised because your salary is substantially higher than your employees, meaning that you are detached from the financial hardships they are facing. How would you respond to these criticisms? First thing to say is there have been no pay cuts. Nobody has taken a pay cut. Um, nobody in the university has taken a pay cut. Um, the only people who have, admittedly on higher salaries, are, are me and the senior team. They did take a pay cut for a prolonged period of time. Yes, I, I do earn more. It's in the financial statements. The ratio of my pay to the average pay is um, just over seven to one. It's one of the lowest in the sector. It's still a lot. Um, uh, I think, I'm, I don't know, I'm probably the lowest paid um, president in the vice chancellor in, in the Russell Group. And the reason is, I've, apart from the pay cut this year, I've not taken a pay cut previously, but I've refused every pay increase that's been offered to me for the last five years and will continue to do so, because I think I do earn a lot of money. Okay, fair enough. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's back to Rebecca for the next uh, informatic questions. Uh, recent events, uh, including the widely publicized racial profiling incident and increasing reports of sexual harassment and assault in student communities, have led to questions about student vulnerability and how the university plans to promote greater inclusion within a safer environment. Students felt disillusioned when you appeared on Newsnight and falsely came, claimed to personally apologize to the student who had been racially profiled. Why was this claim made and have you made amends since? So lots of questions there. Let me come back to the general issue about students' uh, vulnerability um, and, and how we're dealing with that. Um, specifically on the racial profiling, um, I, I did say something that was untrue on Newsnight. As I've said publicly since, I believed it to be true. I honestly believed it to be true. Um, and that was my mistake, which I regret greatly. And I've met with a student several times since uh, and have spoken to him directly. Um, in terms of student vulnerability, um, we're doing a lot of work um, uh, on uh, student uh, harassment, um, student uh, safety. Um, we've been working with the Students' Union. You've probably seen the equality and diversity announcements we've made about setting up new processes for a clearer reporting, for more rapid responses. Jointly with the Students' Union, we're setting up um, uh, another zero tolerance of any harassment, bullying, or any sexual or racist comments, which are completely unacceptable. On equality and diversity, we'd already done the big report on race matters. We're now stepping that up. 
quality and diversity in the university used to be part of our human resources department. We've decided that's not good enough. It's too important. And we need to um, actually increase the profile of that. It's been stepped up to a directorate in its own right uh, that reports directly now into the senior team. We're putting in place, we've just put out messages around a number of actions that we're taking. Uh, myself and Kwame Kwateng, um, the General Secretary of the Students' Union, are together setting up an independent advisory group that will scrutinise us and say, we're doing not, you're not doing enough of this, or that isn't working, or that's superficial. And we're equally talking to students about what they feel about what more do we need to do? Uh, and we're very, very keen to do um, more than we have done to date, I think. Um, and, and certainly stepping that up and recognising students' concerns about their personal safety, whether it's against um, um, criminal behaviour or simply injustices or inequalities. And as a university, inequality is one of our biggest research themes, actually, and one that we're discussing uh, being an even bigger theme, covering everything, not just um, racial or gender inequality, but also inequalities of religion, of educational access, of financial uh, position. Uh, and actually, there's a big forum just uh, coming up in, in a week or two on um, inequality, which we're going to step up a lot. Thank you so much for those answers on racial inequality within the university. Uh, there have also been high levels of sexual harassment and assault reported in student neighborhoods. How is the university responding to these incidents and what message do you have for students who feel vulnerable? So for students who feel vulnerable, they must contact us and, and, and we'll do everything we possibly can. And, and this is a difficult issue because in the end, um, um, while you know, there might be some, almost all of the cases I've been made aware of have, have been with people outside the university with sexual attacks or sexual harassment on students, not other students doing it, not, not to say there might be odd ones. And that means that we have to work closely with um, our security and Greater Manchester Police, which uh, I appreciate is a controversial issue, but they are in the end there to protect students. Um, that, that's what they're there for. Um, and we've, we've also just put in a bid jointly with Manchester Metropolitan University for further funding for supporting students around the campus. And uh, we're also putting in more money for um, closed circuit TV, such that there's coverage so that we can see events that are happening and report them quickly. And also for, to get students to report where even if an event hasn't occurred, they've been frightened by it. Um, you know, it's enough to feel threatened, even if an event hasn't happened. Some of these are, 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 are not overt criminal behaviours, but they're enough to make a student feel nervous, particularly nervous about walking on their own uh, and the students unions put in an awful lot of effort around safe places for students um, such that they can go in immediately and call somebody and get support. Um, our student reps in halls we've been talking to about how we can ensure safety in our halls of residence. Um, any big city anywhere in the world there's always going to be risks around of course um, but we're doing our best to minimise those risks as much as we can. Thank you Peter if you'd like to continue. Um, the final theme surrounds institutional problems that have faced the university the past few months. Students and teaching staff feel a disconnect between themselves and the university administration. This is evidenced by student-led protests calling for increased dialogue and transparency with university seniority. The Owens Park protests were seen as a symptom of a dangerous disconnect between the university, students' union and the student body. The lack of transparent communication was made clear during the fencing incident in Fallowfield. How can accommodation management create dialogue with its residents to avoid contentious decisions such as the fencing fiasco? 
So I think a very fair comment would be in the early months, uh, probably the first six months into the beginning of the new semester, I don't think we had nearly enough dialogue with students. In normal years, I would have been having, I, I do have regular meetings with the Students' Union and feed them back. I would have been on visits around all the schools. I would have met with students. That didn't happen. Um, not for any, because we didn't want to, but simply because we were overwhelmed. I, I, I think that's a very fair comment. Our communication has not been as good as it could have been. That's changed now. I've had um, four or five school meetings. I had one yesterday with over a hundred students listening to their concerns. Um, I've met with the representatives of the um, student halls of residence twice to hear their concerns. And actually it was their concerns very much that drove us to deliver the 30% rebate, hearing what really mattered to them. I've now got a meeting planned, I think next week uh, with the course reps from across all faculties. I've said to each of the school meetings, if you want me to come back, if I didn't answer all those questions, I'm very happy to do them again. Um, the Students' Union has been having open fora. One of the comments yesterday was, was saying they'd love to have Zoom open meetings with the Students' Union. The General Secretary was on that meeting and he immediately came back and said, yeah, sure. And, and told me later, he said, we're setting that up now. I think it would be a fair criticism of us that we battened down a bit. We were trying to manage what we thought was going to be a financial crisis. Um, worrying about safety, worrying about infections. Uh, the fence incident that you referred to was deeply, deeply regrettable. I mean, it was done with well intention. The intention was to keep people out and keep students safe, but that wasn't communicated to students. Students weren't talked to about it. And therefore that was a grave error without a doubt. Um, and if I could have gone back and done it differently, would have engaged with all the students in the residence and said, would you like us to put up a fence? No, it's possible some of them might have said yes and then it would have been fine and they might have said no but that didn't happen and and, and it should have done and I, uh, I agree it should have done um around this idea of keeping students safe especially um in accommodation in halls so um the first year students specifically um what we've seen recently is uh, the most uh, the most recent instance of gaps in communication was when first year students in halls were subjected to random flat and common room checks by the police some 50 students were fined 800 pounds over the past weekend. The police code of conduct specifically says officers should exercise their best effort to obtain consent from the occupier in the cases of lease premises and that the landlord's consent isn't good enough. How will you ensure that students in accommodation feel comfortable instead of anxious about police intervention, especially what we've seen recently in the media about students saying that they feel like they're caged in, that they're uncomfortable about being in student accommodation and they feel that they're being subject to um, over overly aggressive police presence when the university uh, could handle this kind of more, more effectively within the interior? Yeah, so, I mean, Greater Manchester Police ha have been operating initiative, not, not just at universities, but across the city. That stepped up a lot in January. Um, before Christmas, we saw gatherings of over 200 students on quite a number of occasions, which were a risk. They weren't just breach of COVID rules, they were a health and safety risk. I've seen the reports from security. I've seen reports from the police. I, I, can I wasn't there. I can only say that the police say they only responded to complaints about gatherings and noise and then and, and only on on one particular occasion where um there was i'm told um a room was broken into were fines offered um this is a really difficult balance isn't it um you know i mean none of us want to be um have the police um telling us what we should and shouldn't do but on the other hand we as an institution 
have uh, a duty to do the most we can to ensure that our students adhere to COVID regulations. And I know the vast majority do. And I've talked to loads of them who've said, look, we don't go out of our rooms. We've been really good. And a small minority under the circumstances, understandably so. But we as an institution, you know, I get called by uh, ministers and police saying, are you enforcing these things? Are you making sure students are not breaking COVID rules? So we're put in a position of an institutional responsibility as well as a personal responsibility. And, you know, the reports I have are that the police um, knocked on doors and said, you know, how many people are in here? Do they all live here? And if it was perfectly fine, they said, sorry to disturb you, have a good night. And it was only where there was a clear breach of that that they took action. Now, I appreciate some of the reports are different to that. Um, and, it, and it may be um, um, that, that um, some students felt it was different to that. Uh, I, I can't comment on that. But, but I do say we, we do, even in these difficult times, have to do our best to ensure that we're not breaching what are government requirements, even though it's really, really difficult. We, and we've all seen plenty of people breaching um, requirements. And, and actually, compared to a lot of universities, we've had very, very few fixed penalty fines. Um, some universities have had many fines, of some of them of £10,000. Um, thankfully, we haven't faced any of those. And that's been ongoing in a lot of cases for quite a long period of time. Um, thankfully, um, there have been no incidents just uh, recently. So I'm hoping now that we can go back to looking after students rather than being seen to try and tell them what they shouldn't shouldn't be doing because that isn't what we want to do. Thank you. Um, as you're aware, a referendum will take place between March 8th and 11th on whether to pass a vote of no confidence in yourself as Vice Chancellor of the University alongside the rest of your senior management team. What message do you have for students regarding the referendum and the hashtag Nancy Out campaign? So obviously I've seen all of this. Um, I'm very upset. I'm very disappointed by the campaign just because this is my university, it's something I care about deeply. I, I work day and night to make sure it's right and don't always get it right. Um, I understand students feel angry, feel upset, and are directing that um, at us. Um, I hope they will judge us in part by our more recent actions where there have been huge efforts put in on student support, on student safety, on equality and diversity, on discussions with students. I've made no attempt to counter that um, referendum at all. I don't think it's my place to. I, I, I think students must decide for themselves how they vote. Um, I hope they will also think about the fact that um, a university is a community. It's not a them and an us. I've never liked the idea, and I understand with fees, of course, that students are customers. I don't think they are customers. I think students are partners in our university. And when they leave, they're still part of the university. They're part of our half million alumni. And I don't like the idea that um, you know, there's a management and the staff and the students. I'm an academic at heart. I'm giving lectures in a few weeks. I'm still doing my research. I'm still trying to keep it going. Uh, and I really want our university to be a success for everybody including all of our students, but the students will vote as they choose and, and I wouldn't um, um, try to do anything to influence that. And I completely understand that some of them feel upset and angry. Um, they've had a very, very difficult time. Um, I think this idea of the university as a community, it really resonates with the essence of what the interview pertains in terms of trying to bring together the various sections of our community together and bring it in unison. Um, what do you see as the solution to rectifying the situation so that the respective bodies, namely um, the university leadership, the students union and the student body can fulfill their responsibilities to one another? 
So I think at the essence of it is always communication. And that's an easy word to say and a difficult one to do. It's interesting. I mentioned the um, living cost pledge. We've advertised that everywhere. We've pushed it in every meeting. Yet your, your response was clear. They don't know about it always. We've had a lot of discussions with students about how do we best communicate with me, with you? And they said, well, we don't want all, we get too many emails. We get too many communications. Can you do it on Facebook? Did things on Facebook. Some students don't like Facebook. So we've got to think about how we best do it. But communication is two ways. It's not about us saying we've done this. It's about having a dialogue with students and then saying, yeah, you did this, but it's not what we wanted. We didn't do it very well. We want you to do something different. So I do think dialogue, communication, and coming back to your word of community, I think that's a real issue, not just for universities. I think it's, it's much, much wider than that. Sadly, COVID has divided communities. Um, and one of the things, you know, I mean, I, I saw one of the questions you were going to ask was, was about our research on ethnicity. You might have seen our Centre for Dynamics of Ethnicity has, has announced um, a big research study today on the impact of ethnic and other minority communities of COVID. It's been devastating. It's divided communities in so many ways. And, and we mustn't let it, you know, it's a horrible thing, but we must make sure that we get back to being a single community. I always say to students, we're never going to agree on everything. I've got to manage a university. I've got to make sure it doesn't go bankrupt. I've got to make sure everybody's as safe as they can be. I've got to make sure that we adhere to the law. And sometimes you won't like that. But surely we all have the same goal in the end about making sure this is a great university for everybody with fantastic students, amazing staff um, contributing so widely. You know, I'm very proud of the fact that one of our three goals is social responsibility which is beyond what students learn. It's beyond the research. It's about those thousands of students that volunteered and helped others. And I really, really want us to get back to that community again. Um, the final question, um, kind of just tying this all together, uh, revolves around the idea of regarding all the issues that uh, your administration has faced and that have been highlighted by the students. Um, are there any commitments uh, towards change or any initiatives that are being thought of right now that will uh, address the issues that are being raised by the students? Well, I I've mentioned an awful lot of them. Student safety, equality and diversity. Um, obviously, you know, we've, we've changed the rank conditions for nearly everybody. We're looking at the academic support we're putting in for everybody, the mental health support that we've put in, the living cost support that we've put in, the better engagement with students, the more opportunities for students to feed back to us. Um, but uh, as I'm going around, uh, every time I meet with students yesterday, um, I, I'm, the 100 students I met in one of the schools, they came up with a couple of ideas. So there'll be new things coming up all the time. Um, and, and I would urge students to tell us, it might be they want us to do something. And I have to say, look, for these reasons, we just can't do that at the moment. We just can't. And, and hopefully if I explain why not, they'll understand. But there'll be an awful lot of them that will say, that's an extremely good idea. And then there'll be other ideas that a whole group of students want us to do. And another group of students say, absolutely, we don't want that. You're not a uniform community at all. You've all got different views, different needs, different wants. And we have to try and do the best we can for the majority of students and in some cases for minorities as well. Thank you for that. Um, do you have any closing remarks that you'd like to make uh, in addressing the wider student body or do you have any questions for us? Um, I, just I don't have any questions, I suppose. I, I just come back to repeat what I say. I am very, very proud of the University of Manchester. I'm very proud I've been Vice-Chancellor for 10 years. It is not a job to me. This is my passion. I could never imagine ever taking another job, however well paid it was, and therefore ensuring that 
it's a great university for all of our students as well as for everybody else is at the heart of everything I try to do. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank okay. You for speaking with us. Thank you both. Okay, bye. Hi everyone and welcome back to Fuse in Focus. I'm joined by the team and we're excited to get next semester kicked off with you and keeping you guys informed on the local student news. Um, as you may well know, uh, we've recently interviewed Vice Chancellor Dame Nancy Rothwell and uh, our first show back for Fuse in Focus uh, will just be analysing the interview, um, considering the implications of uh, Nancy's interview and kind of the propositions from the team about the next step forward. So just to get right, uh, stuck right into it, uh, what are your opinions on the interview, first of all, um, regarding our interaction with Nancy? I was actually really surprised by the interview. Um, I wasn't expecting to see Nancy in such a sympathetic light, but I think she came across quite well and she seemed to um, have a genuine passion for the university and her job, which I wasn't really expecting. Um, so yeah, she seemed to have a lot of her answers kind of pre-scripted and it seems like she's been given the answers quite a lot. But to be honest with you, I came out of it a lot more um, on her side than I was expecting yeah. to. I think we've seen this a lot though with other calls of I've had friends that she's been that have been there and they've said the same thing they've come they've come away from it going actually she's actually okay and she's given us some quite concrete answers so yeah I think maybe the view of her has changed a little bit maybe we're not completely loving her anymore but I think the referendum now could be questioned a, bit, a lot more on whether it's going to be a counterparty coming forward saying no we need to keep the the administration but just see some reform. I was say, uh, conducting the interview, I went into it pretty, feeling pretty cynical uh, based on everything we'd heard and um, with the looming referendum before us. Uh, but I felt pretty optimistic towards the end. And now I'm thinking, am I just easily bought and persuaded? Because obviously I think a lot of students listening back would not feel, you know, as confident and would still feel disillusioned by her. Um, so maybe this is just kind of a cosmetic uh, interview to make her look good and I don't know whether you know she kind of succeeded in making this a, a good PR stunt or whether she was sincere in her intents. I think it really depends on kind of what avenue you're looking at it from I think on the whole in terms of what was said about Nancy it seems like she genuinely cares about the university and the university community I think it'd be hard to argue against that because she did definitely come off as someone who was fairly invested within the university but then if you've got kind of questions from the students who have put more effort into kind of campaigning against her or in the rent strikes and um, in writing reports as for example like anti-racism uh, and institutional racism within the university some people that we spoke to the people that are more kind of invested in researching this and also like bringing it to the light will they be won over as easily as the students who are kind of just like on a middle ground and I think there's a, there's a difference between kind of like the layers of the student body and how their reactions will be to it but I think on a whole uh, it, she did come off in a positive light and she did come off as she cared so it's kind of a swings and roundabout situation. Yeah I'll definitely agree with that I think she's a she's a fighter isn't she wants her back up against the wall uh, she knows how to get out of the situation I mean she's shown on numerous occasions that she's got an excuse ready once the interview's coming, apart from the Newsnight one. Um, but yeah, so I, I came away from it, you know, thinking that Nancy's a bit more respectable than I have been doing in the past few months. So yeah, fair play to her. Yeah, no, um, I would say that on the whole, I would agree with everything that everyone said. Um, I think it did come across and it's sincere. Um, and I think it would make students sort of feel that 
uh, this the, the problems that have happened over the last how many months over the last year near enough have been can now be attributed to a, a collaborative team that were in the university as opposed to one person. I think now the the blame would be shifted more towards the uh, the the actual committee, the higher the leading committee of the university as opposed to just Nancy. Um, but I think there is also a few things that I would like to address from, from listening to you. And she does still talk about this trade-off between students and the progress of the university. When she was talking about the non-disadvantaged policy, she said that it would be detrimental to the progress of the students, even though the students are calling for it. Again, she mentioned about the Nancy Out campaign. She said it would be detrimental to the progress of the university and to, uh, and to students satisfaction so I think within the whole of our answers there was still this idea that there was a trade-off between students what the students wanted and the progress of the university the reputation of the university um which is what I, I gathered from it yeah I'd agree with everything everyone said I think it was slightly more reassuring and I think um what I felt about it was I think a big criticism of the um the staff in the university the people that are running it was that they it felt like they were always a step behind that they were sort of scrabbling to catch up with the events and we saw that in the fence um situation that they hadn't fully communicated it and it all felt a bit last minute and i think that really came across in her other interviews with like the mancunian and as alex said the um newsnight interview but i felt like this one is a bit more organized i think it she came off better because maybe the answers were pre-scripted but it had obviously been thought about on how it'd come across and I think like, obviously I don't like a, I'm not a big fan of a pre-scripted answer, but it felt a bit more reassuring as someone that's like leading the university. I mean, also going back to Luke's point um, about, you know, there there being two options, I'd be, and also linking it to the referendum, there's two options she put forward for argument, you know, you either stick with her and she'll somehow manage to uh, get the university through crisis, or you, you vote for, Nancy out and then who knows what might happen she was definitely putting the she was she made me fear the uncertainty um through the interview and I think that's what she wants to get to the rest of the, the university body you know as soon as you vote her out you never know what might happen you see I, you can almost relate it to the way dictatorships fall you know but anyway I was gonna say do you want to elaborate on the, um, the dictatorship analogy yeah so uh she's been in there for 10 years was it um there's been no democracy over her position so it's pretty similar to a dictatorship i mean if there was a referendum and she got voted out that would be the enforcement of democracy and it would see the the dictatorship fall obviously i'm not saying that she's comparable to dictators with you know the brutality against her own students and staff um but no it's definitely she's she's had a position with a no people wanting to take it for a long time. I guess it just begs the question of whether we can compare the university admin to a political admin administration. Um, because I think as much as we like to think we've got our own little, you know, our own little microcosm of politics and whatever with the SU, I, I think that it isn't it isn't an elected position at the end of the day. You know, she she was hired by a in what is technically kind of a business, um, and they are trying to kind of I know she said in the interview she doesn't like the idea of of the university being like a business and a, the education being a product but if you do think about it in that kind of way the university is giving us a service rather than like public service if that makes sense so I think it's probably um a little bit dangerous to expect 
democratic processes to make a change in what isn't actually a democracy. I mean, I, I quite liked your analogy there, Alex, with the um, the dictatorship thing. Um, and uh, it's not the one thing that me and my uh, my radio show have been talking about recently, actually, is um, uh, the similarities between this referendum, the student referendum, and that of the Brexit referendum. You know, what does Nancy out mean when we get rid of her? What actually happens after she uh, leaves her office if she does? Uh, did the people, did the students know what they were voting for when they did so? Uh, would there be months of intercommunity disputes about the legality of this referendum? So there's lots of things here which um, me and my friend quite funnily try to uh, link to the Brexit referendum. Uh, hopefully it doesn't end up like that, but I was just on the, on the matter of, of analogies. I thought I would just put that one out there. Um, yeah. Are you, are you going to name drop the radio show as well? Yeah, no, please listen to two of us uh, on live on Fuse FM on Fridays, oh, sorry, Saturdays at 11am. So yeah, listen to, listen to my show. <laughs> well, now I think it's only fair if Jess and Serafina plug their show as well. Actually, I was going to make a point as a uh, co-head opinion editor for Mancunian, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> um, so I have recently edited a couple of articles about the Nancy Out referendum. Um, and I put a cheeky poll in Manchester students group, which actually got 50 plus responses on, <laughs> which is the first for me. Um, but so in terms of like results, the Nancy has to go option got 52 votes and the Nancy's not to blame option got three votes. So if that's representative of people's views, I don't think Nancy's got much support, but I do think it was interesting actually editing the articles um, because one was written by someone who's very heavily involved in the Nancy out campaign and was very kind of, um, it just, I don't want to say like hateful, but you know, very anti-Nancy um, and did have the claims to back it up. But the other side was sort of like, if we replace Nancy, what good is that going to do? Like the issue isn't with her personally, it's within the kind of university administration and the culture of the, the university, which from her interview, it did seem like she was trying to change um, and did seem like it was a kind of byproduct of the pandemic rather than, you know, a genuine, um, like not caring for the students in, in the university body. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really interesting, but even with the, like putting those two articles in the post, people were still voting for Nancy to go. So I think that there is this kind of just overarching idea in the student body that it is Nancy that's the problem. And if we get rid of her, everything is gonna change. Even though I personally don't think that's necessarily true. I think that's mainly because of how it's been shown on social media where all the students are so you have say our radio show we've had an interview with Nancy but realistically how how many people are going to watch listen to this how many people are going to go onto the Facebook live and watch Josh interview Nancy on the Mac Union compared to people sharing the story on their Instagram page saying Nancy must go putting that as their Facebook profile picture on with the banner Nancy must go with, you have, with nice graphics and like yeah quotable statistics you've and got things. all the other accounts like cops off campus you know rent strike they're all related to Nancy going but these ones where we're actually kind of weighing up the sides and looking at this fear and uncertainty of what would actually happen if this went ahead isn't as big as how many people mostly first years I would say that are really disillusioned by Nancy and have been now kind of brought up in university to not like her whereas other second years we kind of don't have that or me, me and myself as a second year like I haven't been in that culture of being in Fallowfield campus right now and having all these different groups and subsections really campaigning for her to leave. She's been really dehumanised, hasn't she? And she's been quite an easy figurehead for people to direct a lot of anger at. Um, and in this interview, she has come across much more like human. We've seen a much more like, um, like human side to her. 
Do you think if that polls go ahead again, it would change people's opinions? Or do you think this interview will change many people's opinions going into the vote? I actually think a lot of people are going, like if anyone does listen to the interview, people will be frustrated about it because they'll see it as us not having been hard enough on her um, and that she sees the opportunity to make herself come up, uh, look good um, and try and gain support. So I think people who were set in that kind of anti-Nancy uh, view aren't going aren't gonna to be persuaded otherwise. I was going to say, because Alex, aren't you in first year hall? Yeah, so I am. Um, and my Instagram is uh, chock-a-block full of all these Fallowfield accounts. Uh, just a little side note. Um, I believe there's uh, too many Fallowfield accounts now. Uh, I don't want to know about Oak House Zoot ratings. I've, Oak House meal ratings is good enough for me. I mean, Oak House toilet ratings, right, we're done, right? All I want is just a wholesome experience on Instagram. So, you know, tone it down a bit if, if you're one of these people plaguing it. But anyway, going going back to the Fallowfield atmosphere, it's it's almost it's it's very polarized. It's extreme to what what the students are thinking. You know, there's yeah. I, the only way I can describe it, I'm not very good with words in this sense, but I, it's just extreme. The they just want Nancy out. I don't think that they'll have their decision, their minds changed by uh, our interview. Um, yeah, I, I think they they need something to focus on during the lockdown and perhaps Nancy out is something that they can. I really agree focus. with that. I think it's something that the students can come together and you saw the protests and you saw everything that's happened. And she was talking a lot about the lack of community, but I think this Nancy Out campaign has actually formed a community within Fallowfield. And it's something that all the students can get involved with because they can share it, they can talk about it, they can protest about it. It can make, you know, you can really connect with people through your anger at the university. And whether that's because you had a maintenance problem that didn't get sorted, or you were involved in the occupation, or you had fences outside your door, you know, everybody's got something they can be angry about. And if they can all come together, it just makes the movement seem more like a trending viral kind of popular thing to be involved with you know if you're not involved with it why, why you should be everyone else is you should be hating nancy that's the consensus yeah i think it's i think that's a very good point and and absolutely the idea of community is definitely now being seen in, in the fallowfield campus and alex you rightly said fallowfield campus is a large section of the student community um i'd say over half the student first year students are in fallowfield hall one of the fallowfield halls is kind um, but there is a but with this, and we did sort of, I mean, Rebecca did sort of touch on this one in her answer. Um, it is a large section of the university, but you have to remember that the majority of students live either in private halls or they live in shared houses like myself and a few of us here. Um, and, you know, speaking to my housemates, they're very mixed about this whole thing. They, they completely understand how they people have been mistreated by the university, um, but it's classic kind of nimbyism where they don't, as it's not happening to them, they don't seriously see the issues of it as other people, um, you know. And I think they're very mixed on whether to vote out or whether to keep and reform. Um, so I think that, of, although that, that sense of, of Nancy out is very, very strong on Fallowfield campus, I think it's less so outside of And that's where the majority of students are. Now, what I would see in this, in this referendum is I'd probably see a very big majority for a Nancy out. That's what I would predict. But I would also say the turnout probably won't be as high as the SU were thinking about. I think the turnout will be quite low. 
Um, and whether or not Nancy will look at that and think, oh, well, only 30% of the students voted, that's not a huge enough people people to say that I'm not good enough. Is I think that's probably the take from that there's also the idea that the referendum, if we're going back to like the political analogies, it isn't binding as well. So if, if, as you said, Luke, if, if not enough people turn up, that gives them even less of a mandate to kind of put the, the, the result into law, not law, obviously, but into practice, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it might end up being a sort of just a way that students can, can express their unhappiness with the way things have been handled over the next few months rather than an actual sort of mini revolution um because I, I you know if nancy loves her job that much i don't think she's gonna go particularly easily you know without a fight um and if the referendum's not binding which it isn't um i i don't know how much you know she's necessarily gonna listen to it um, but at the same time it's like if half your student body is saying no we don't like you please leave i think it might at the same time be quite <laughs> difficult to stay and be like oh okay i guess i'll just carry on with my work if you've got that much kind of hatred behind you. So we'll, we'll have to see how they, they sort of deal with the, the result. I think on the back of that, like when we're talking about the fact that maybe second years, third years who are in private accommodation outside of halls might not be bothered about Nancy, I think you could flip that on its head and also say that they've been ignored because I know you, we asked the question about um, harassment when people, especially women are walking home in Fallowfield or you know in different parts of Manchester and being harassed and what, what are the university doing about that and they really did centre it back to Fallowfield campus and what they're doing to help people in campuses and I've seen a lot of these posts on MSG and Fallowfield groups and people I know and it's worrying and it's how can you protect this other whole massive cohort of university students from something that's really pressing and obviously it's a lot more difficult to sort out when it's not all contained in a campus but I feel like some students might actually feel neglected because all the attention has been even if you don't live in Fallowfield campus you know Victoria Park Whitworth City you know you might actually feel like you're not even in this hub of student life where everything's happening because that's all the university really focusing on right now yeah and obviously a huge reason for that is because you know the scandals that have made headlines have been concentrated at Fallowfield campus but it does mean that the vast majority of students are not getting that same level of attention um, and the university isn't trying to, to fight off these this bad reputation um, revolving around us, uh, especially second and third years, people who live in different accommodation. And in terms of sexual harassment, for example, this is a wider issue that affects a lot of us and not just students at halls. And the university needs to work harder to make it a safe environment for everyone not just the people who are likely to, to protest and shed a negative light on the university. Just a follow up question on that. Um, how, how could they make it safer for people, you know, walking in the dark? Because it is such a vast area that students live in. And they're obviously going to be dodgies wherever you walk in the city at night. So I was just wondering what people's opinions were on solutions to that. There's a campaign group. Um, I can't remember what it's called now but they've been kind of mapping where a lot of sexual harassment's happening in in the city and they've they've worked with MMU and UOM to uh, get free panic alarms for students um so you can go I think to the SU and pick one up um at some point but I don't think there is necessarily much else the uni itself can do because obviously it's off their premises it's kind of up to the police at that point and I I suspect students wouldn't be necessarily that happy to see an increased police presence in Fallowfield, you know, considering the reactions that they've, that there's been. Um, 
at the, you know already with more police um so I, I i really don't know what the best course of action is at, at that point because I, I don't again i don't know what the cause of like this massive surge in sexual harassment has been um i don't know if it will improve if, as the pandemic kind of tapers off i, I really don't know it's a tough one though because i think that a lot of the angle with the increased police presence has been the the pre the police presence against fresh like first years having parties in contrast with like the complete lack of presence concerning things like this like girls that are walking home at night and just like no police and feeling unsafe um i think this is uh, another thing which she said in the interview which she mentioned the the struggle to like communicate with students effectively um and the best way to do that and that's something they're working on but there were things that she was saying which i i wouldn't have heard of like the safe places for the, the SU are working on for students. Um, this is not something that I've ever heard of. It sounds great, but um, I think surely there's better ways that they can communicate things like that. I think it just ties in with that whole idea of that post that they put on their Instagram that was like, treat the lockdown as a retreat. It's there's something isn't quite right with the way that they're communicating with students. And again, I don't have the answers as to how they can improve that because she said that they've tried email, they've tried Facebook, like they've tried lots of different things. But I think that that is one of the biggest issues that we're having right now, because I've again to go back to sorry to um, but the opinion article I've edited recently about mental health provision is that the student that wrote that has found that the actual mental health services of the university are really good and everyone they've spoken to that have used them are really, really good. You can get counselling, you can get resources, you know, you can, you can get what you need and they'll refer you to NHS if, if needs be. But the way that that's marketed on social media and on emails and stuff isn't right students don't know that that support is there and they think that the support that is there is rubbish is just these silly sayings like treat your lockdown as a retreat um so there definitely is a like a, a marketing perspective that, that needs to be sourced out there because as you said if we don't know about these safe spaces we don't know about mental health provision we're going to think that the university isn't serving us correctly when actually behind the scenes it, it might be doing better than we think it is i think that just shows how out of touch though because that the treat lockdown as a retreat message just felt like a kick in the teeth at the time because this was when students didn't know whether they could return to uni they didn't know what they were doing they were stuck in at home hadn't seen their friends in a while you know you had loads of deadlines it was just a really uncertain time and then you were hit with this oh relax treat it as a treat chill out have some fun and it's like no I'm actually really stressed right now I'm really paranoid I don't know what I'm doing my mental health isn't great and I don't know where to turn and yeah I think that just shows in the communication it's just the lack of being student interest and maybe that lack of not talking to students and thinking how are you coping are you doing okay how would you like us to give a message how would you like us to treat this situation what words would you like us to use and what support can we give you just start on the back of that lockdown retreat nonsense it, it was very very silly because at the time we were all preparing for exams I mean the definition of a retreat is you know going out somewhere secluded where you've got no work to do, whereas everyone else was, in reality, was at home, just running around the house trying to figure out what they needed to revise. It's the complete opposite, and it just it made the the whole the student service just seem so out of touch with how students were feeling, and, and I guess that also fueled some of the anger. Yeah, I think definitely, and um, I think this is one of the main reasons why students were calling for a non-disadvantaged policy because you know there was this talk of of mental health support that wasn't being advertised as well. And also, um, as Jess rightly said, people were more concerned about uh, treating, uh, not treating this as a retreat, but 
think this is an important part of their lives to get a grade um, and not offering a disadvantage policy in the eyes of many students greatly unfair um, and I think there's also bodies that we haven't talked about and I should probably mention them just before we wrap up um, because I've spoken to people uh, who have been sexually harassed um, and they've contacted the local MPs of the area uh, who have done very very little about it um, the police as, as you've mentioned aren't doing as much as they should um, and so of course the university has a has an obligation to look after its students but we have to also point some form of blame towards local representatives who haven't done as much as they should do, especially with this whole whole thing that's going on in Fallowfield with fencing and everything like that. I, I didn't see any sort of support from local MPs about this, uh, which was quite disappointing, really, in my opinion. Um, you know, of course, you have to take into consideration they are Labour MPs, the majority of students are Labour voters, so they don't necessarily want to go against that. But I, I do think that people should look at them as, as being, you know, people who should out for our interests as well. And they're, in my, in my experience, aren't doing so. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see how the campaign and referendum develop and whether the university can regain its, its students' trust. Thank you for tuning in. You're back in focus.